Bull Show with Bick Nazar and Randeep Janda. Welcome back to Hour 2 of The People Show. Listening live, listening on the pod. We appreciate you being part of the show. Coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Mentioned Patrick Mahomes. We'll get into that conversation with Gary Gramling in just a second. I think he's still throwing touchdowns. Five touchdowns for Patrick Mahomes. A lot of people concerned with that Tyreek Hill, but uh, Mahomes announced a big return with uh, five touchdowns. Yeah, he wasn't lying about saying, we're going to beat you with a balanced attack. No. Just across the board, all the receivers. Yeah, Kelsey's there. Uh, No worries. Got a bunch of other dudes that can catch the ball as well. You know what else uh, made a return yesterday, notching up five? What was that? Big six, baby. Five dubs. Started off with an L. On Took an L on Thursday. Five straight after that. Count them. Congratulations. Five wins, one loss in a week one. We're not back. We're not back. We're, we're not back. Like you got to earn the trust after a bad season last Good year. Good way to start. Hey, I, I but, ripped uh, you on Friday with Jamie. Yeah. Give you applause for week one. Many people are saying it's back, but uh, let's not jinx it. Hold on. There's a lot of weeks in a season. <laughs> I wouldn't say back. It's a good start. We're, we're working towards done. Yeah, exactly. Chill. Just chill. But good start to the season. 5-1, and one, uh, big 6. Hopefully you tailed it uh, instead of fading it. But nevertheless... I lost some money this weekend. We appreciate uh, the support no matter what it is. Uh, Vic Nazar and Randy Janda. Let's talk to Gary Gramling who joins us now. SI.com and the Monday morning quarterback at gramling underscore SI. Gary, how are you? I'm good. How are you guys? Oh, we are doing awesome. Uh, Thanks a lot for doing this. So, Patrick Mahomes uh, spreading TDs out all over the place. The concerns over uh, the loss of Tyreek Hill, uh, should they be subsided immediately? I mean, they were probably a little overblown to begin with. Uh, There are going to be weeks where, you know, they're going to miss the, you know, it's it's nice to have Tyreek Hill who maybe you can throw a three-yard pass to and have him take it 80 yards or, or, you know, basically just constantly – threaten the defense over the top, uh, you know, everyone got a look at uh, what was uh, so, something of a new look offense. It wasn't that far away from what they've done in the past, but uh, teams will be a little better prepared. I don't think we're going to see them dropping 40 points every week. It's still probably going to be a top five offense, and uh, that's just going to be like with Patrick Mahomes for the next, I don't know, decade and a half. All right, so they were the winners this weekend, amongst many others, but who are the losers, and why weren't they the Dallas Cowboys? <laughs> there's look there's no one who uh, relative to how they should have played there's no one who played worse than the Dallas Cowboys uh and that includes the Cardinals uh, they were the one team that just didn't show up like the Bengals lost ugly yeah you don't want to lose to the Steelers Bengals are better than the Steelers you want to win that game uh if they played it 99 more times the Bengals are going to win all those games I mean they're 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 fine they're not going to turn it over five times every week but uh, the Cowboys showed up, and missing a Michael Gallup can't be the reason that you look like you have never played offensive football before. Uh, you have to have some sort of plan going into that game besides uh, whatever they had going in. Uh, they kind of tried to lean on the run a little bit, quickly abandoned that, and then they just had no answers. Uh, just a really ill-prepared team. 
the Rams look bad, too. Uh, you think, though, the Rams certainly have found answers in the past, and they will again. But the Cowboys are the one team. If you're going to be kind of panicked, uh, if you're a fan base right now, I think the Cowboys are the one team that you're panicked. Yeah, their their fans are losing it on social media right now. And you speak about panic, and, and Jerry Jones, without his franchise quarterback now, do they tap into the, the Cam Newton conversation? Do they tap into other quarterbacks that might be available? Or do you see them sticking with Cooper, uh, you know, Cooper Rush right now? I would guess they stick with Cooper Rush. Uh, you know, if, if they didn't make a move already, because that's the thing, it's not like Dak Prescott has been an Iron Man. I mean, they played with Adam two seasons ago. They wouldn't got Andy Dalton to, to make sure they had sort of a capable backup. They didn't do that. It seems pretty clear they have some level of trust in Cooper Rush. You know, should they? I don't know. We're about to find out over the next two months, I guess. But uh, I don't think they're making another move. And, and honestly, I look, I – I like Cam Newton. I uh, I think he was spectacular in his in his prime. I don't know if he's really going to help all that much at this point. And and you have to probably redraw the entire offense uh, at that point anyway, which you really don't want to do. Do they flirt with something like Jimmy Garoppolo, or is is San Francisco making that move with his contract, saying, "Hey, you're the guy here"? Um, if something goes wrong with Trey Lance, that certainly Garoppolo is much more likely than. Uh, uh, Cam Newton at this point. Uh, we'll see. I mean, it's one of those things where it's like it only takes one, but I think the 49ers want a second team in there so they can actually, uh, you know, create some sort of market here and get some sort of demand. Because I don't know if the Cowboys are motivated enough to make the deal and uh, if there's no one else hanging around to, to trade for him. I just don't know if the 49ers are getting anything of value out of Dallas at this point. On the 49ers, uh, Randy Pierre was a little bit more critical on Trey Lance. I I took the approach of it's a monsoon. They're playing in pool the whole game. Yeah, it came down a bit harsher later on, but I, I don't know if you take anything away from that game. Do you just kind of reset the season and say, hey, week one is actually next week, and we can start evaluating Trey Lance in that different kind of environment that is in a monsoon? Yeah, you could throw it away. Uh, and, and look – that field is always unpleasant to play on. Uh, offense yeah. has never played particularly well out in Soldier Field. Uh, Matt Eberflus is not a fun guy to play against as young quarterback. Uh, I will say, and, and, and boy, I mean, we're talking about not overblowing one game. I, If you'd allow me for a second, I'll overblow one play. Shanahan's uh, classic, like his favorite thing is, is a concept called Y-Leak, where the tight end sort of uh, – Baines blocking and then slips out across the formation and downfield. Uh, they've done it. I mean, you can go back to, to the Mike Shanahan teams uh, of the Broncos uh, long ago. Uh, Kyle Shanahan loves that. They called it. It worked. Tight ends wide open downfield, and, and Trey Lance missed them. And Kyle used to get really upset when uh, Jimmy Garoppolo would miss throws like that, and uh, this was pretty egregious. This was uh, I, I don't know. I think Trey Lance kind of like ruined uh, Kyle Shanahan's Christmas with that one. Yeah, to be fair, I think he's good long-term. I'm just saying pump the brakes on the Super Bowl talk this year in San Francisco, but that, that's my take anyways. Uh, let's focus on something positive. The Minnesota Vikings and Kevin O'Connell. This does not look like the team that Mike Zimmer coached last year, and there's actual life in that offense. Is that something, even one game, are, are we all in on the Vikings in that offense? Because they look different. They look very different. Well, we might have talked about this a couple of weeks ago, guys. Uh, I mean, you, we can all point and laugh every time a Sean McVay uh, assistant gets hired somewhere, but 
they've all been really successful. So for that reason, and, and the fact that the NFC is kind of thin, and now obviously they, you know, they have that uh, uh, game and a half lead on the Packers, obviously they'll go to Lambeau later in the year. You feel good about all that. I'm not completely sold. I don't think it's an elite team. I don't think they're necessarily better than the Packers over the course of an entire season. Uh, we'll find out as we go. But, uh, yeah, there's definitely a little more – it just seemed a little more looser, a little more aggressive offensively. And I think that's kind of what you're looking for. I mean, you know, and this is the case with a lot of defensive coaches. Uh, you kind of, if you're an offensive play caller, uh, Clint Kubiak being the guy a couple of years ago or, or the last few years, it's like, yeah, Mike Zimmer kind of looking over your shoulder and being like, come on, just run the ball. Stop throwing it. Just run the ball. And, uh, you know, I, I think we're going to see Justin Jefferson unleashed quite a bit this season. Uh, talking to Gary Gramling, uh, recapping week one in the NFL, um, which one of the first-year head coaches, and we'll remove some of them since we know, you know, we've seen Levy Smith coach, we've seen Doug Peterson coach, and Dodd, uh, Todd Poles. Um, which one of the first-time head coaches did you look at and say, okay, that was a necessary first step, and you walked away kind of impressed. Well, you know, O'Connell was obviously the uh, uh, the big one uh, at this point. Uh, Brian Dable just getting use out of Saquon Barkley, and they kind of stole that game. I, I don't think they were necessarily better than the Titans, uh, but that was kind of a big deal. Just seeing Saquon Barkley function as the guy who – Certainly the Giants thought he'd be that guy, and a lot of us thought he'd be that guy coming out of Penn State. So uh, that was kind of a big deal there, and it looks like they're just going to be functional uh, with that Giants offense, which is just a huge step up from where they've been the last couple of seasons. All right, we saw the Miami Dolphins take care of business against Bill Belichick as well. And, you know, Mike McDaniel definitely had a couple of, I think Tyreek Hill put it well, ballsy play calls there in fourth and seven. Uh, in mm-hmm. that game, how big of a deal was that win for the Dolphins? Not only winning the first game of the year because they got a tough schedule coming, but also taking out the Patriots. Yeah, I mean, that's another one. Uh, you know, you talk about the Vikings maybe looking a little looser and more aggressive offensively. The Dolphins, I mean, you can multiply that by five with uh, the switch from Brian Flores to Mike McDaniel here. Uh, and you saw it. You saw how well designed and, and how good that offense is. And obviously, the fourth and seven call at the end of the first half was a. Uh, uh, was great. Uh, the issue you're going to have, and uh, I know it's kind of a lazy comp at this point because obviously McDaniel is, is coming from San Francisco. Uh, I don't know how much they're going to do outside of the, the structure of that offense and outside of the play calling and what Mike McDaniel uh, kind of dials up himself. You're not going to get that, uh, you know, what you get from uh, uh, a Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, that's just not going to be Tua Tungabailoa's game. I thought the red flag, and it's a small red flag, but it's still a red flag. Uh, when he got, when Tua got late into the down yesterday, it was the same awful process and results that we've seen for the last couple of years. Uh, and frankly, it's it's not totally different from what Jim Garoppolo has been in San Francisco. I think you're looking at something along those lines. So it, you know, if you're a uh, if you're looking at the Dolphins, can you do what the 49ers did? Can you dominate on defense and, and maybe make a run like that? It's going to be tough in the AFC. It's just it's an arms race in that conference, and uh, it's, I, it's just so difficult to picture that team uh, winning three games against those uh, uh, those sort of superhuman quarterbacks that uh, litter the rest of the conference. Before we let you go, uh, Monday Night Football tonight, what are you expecting? 
Uh, you'd think the Broncos would kind of run away with this. I, I'd be curious just to see. Seahawks obviously know what Russell Wilson doesn't like, uh, and you know maybe they uh, they hang a little bit closer. It almost feels like those division rivalry games early in the season where we get kind of carried away. With, you know, Texans yesterday hanging yeah. with Colts. Uh, you know, games like that. It might have that kind of feel. Just talent wise, there's such a disparity between these two teams. I hate saying that about the NFL because everyone's really good, but uh, I don't know. It, it, Seahawks probably hang around, and then it ends up being a 30-20 Broncos win. Uh, he is Gary Grambling from SI.com, Monday Morning Quarterback. Uh, appreciate it as always, Gary. We'll talk soon. You got it, guys. Anytime. Gary Grambling joining us here on The People Show. Vic Nazar, Randeep Janda as well. Uh, let's get to it on that Monday night football game. Wrong answers only. Uh, I just saw the video. Russell Wilson has arrived at Lumen Field wearing a uh, like seafoam green suit and bow tie. Well, black bow tie. But, okay. Uh, he, he's, he's, he's swagging it out. So he's arrived. How should Seahawks fans welcome Russell Wilson back tonight? Wrong answers only. 650-650. All right. I got one here. Wrong answers only. How should Seahawks fans welcome Russell Wilson back tonight with unlimited top pot donuts for everything he did for the franchise? Mr. Unlimited. Yeah, you got to be unlimited. You know, you got to have a thought process of being unlimited. Man launched championship with that organization. You hit him with the unlimited donuts. Wrong answers only. Mm-hmm. Seahawks fans should be echoing... Uh, the quotes of another Seahawk legend as well, Richard Sherman. Well, I'm the best corner in the game. When you try me with a sorry receiver like Crabtree, that's the result you're going to get. Don't you ever talk about me. Who was talking about you? Crabtree, don't you open your mouth about the best. Or you, I'm going to shut it for you real quick. L.O.B. All right, before... Channel at L.O.B. Channel at L.O.B. All right. Richard Sherman should raise the flag tonight. And... Just straight up. See, that would be petty. Just straight up. Don't you ever talk about me. Seattle's too nice of a town for that, though. <laughs> like, if that was Philadelphia or something, oh, they do that. The ruthlessness. Seahawks are too nice. The, the entire crowd just got to be the whole night. Don't you ever talk about me. You turned your back on us. Don't you ever talk about me. Can we all agree that Marshawn Lynch carried that offense in the Super Bowl year? <laughs> Come on. The disrespect. Can we all agree? The disrespect. No. Tell me, what, tell me I'm wrong. To Doug Baldwin was on that group. Sidney Rice was on that group. Golden Tate, all like thriving careers. But Speaking he, of Top Pot Donuts, I've, remember Golden Tate? Didn't he get busted for stealing them? Did he? Yes. Man, he went he to lived Detroit. In that building. He went to Detroit and was never the same. What are you talking about? He had like a 100-yard catch season nah. there. Golden Tate was unbelievable. He, he Golden disappeared Tate. into dis- uh, obscurity. Golden Tate was awesome in Detroit. I don't know also, what you're talking about. He was awesome in Whistler. Remember that video of him yeah. slamming beers in the village? Someone just like launched them. They're in good hands. Just boom. Golden Tate like exploded as a receiver in Detroit. I am not a Golden Tate stand. That's fine. But like, he put up better stats than he did in Seattle. <laughs> All right, we got this one. The wrong had, answers only. Zach Miller, they had real players on that offense, but. Marshawn was obviously the headliner. Yeah, he was, but come on. Like, let's not downplay I, Russ, folks. I, I, I'm here to give credit to the defense because the defense was the headliners, but that, that, that offense was better than As a Seahawks realized. fan, I could understand somebody coming in with that take because they're just salty. The breakup, they went the wrong way. You're a Jets fan, Dom. Come on. Yeah, Marshawn Lynch. Come on. All right, we got this one from Ryan. Wrong answers only. They should only play future songs because he's <laughs> Sierra's baby daddy. <laughs> That's too personal. That's the wrong answers only as a boat, man. <laughs> we go there. 
Uh, Marcus and Gibson's. Seahawks fans need to chant, Marshawn's better. See? All night. See? And Marshawn just... But that's that's a fine statement to say Marshawn's better. It doesn't mean, like, he carried the offense. That's the same sentiment. No. no. It's exactly the same sentiment. But wrong answers only, Dom. You're right. You're right. That's fine. We got this one. Oh, this one's great. 650, 650. Un- uh, this one's from Rager. Malcolm Butler raising the 12 flag. Because oh. <laughs> that would hurt Seahawks that would fans, hurt, too. Yeah, that would hurt That'd everybody. Be great. Wasn't he busy last night? Wait, but, like, that's like a cell phone. I get it. It's wrong answers only. It, it's not supposed to be a right answer. There are no that's winners fine. in that situation. That's fine. 650, 650. I like this one. Unsigned text. Wrong answer. Spence Diamond's men's golden, uh, men's diamond ring. Right. Like, like, give him one? Give him one. Here you go. Congratulations. Welcome back. Uh, go fund me. The ring Funny we should have got. Thank you. And here's a cool wet rag while you're at it. <laughs> uh, well, that's not a wrong answer. Only that's the right answer. Only from Don uh, Dan in Vancouver. The old line. Yeah, the old line. Yeah, I don't even think Marshawn would agree with that. Uh, look, He'd probably I, say the old line had something to do with guys, it. Guys, you can't mm. just say that's a right answer only and then not read the text. You're keeping everybody. Well, I was going to read it, but it's a, it's a, the old line one, not Marshawn Lynch, not Russ, and not Ciara. Uh, not Ciara. Uh, Darren, Delta Port. Today I decided not to donate to Russell's charity. People are going real petty on this. Yeah. Okay. Good. As help. you should. You can still help humanity. Okay. If this guy was a guy that took you to just the one Super Bowl, you end up losing to the Patriots. Then I can understand. So you were good for nothing. You didn't win us anything. He still helped them win a Super Bowl, folks. I think. I think what'll happen. Well, while we're doing the wrong answers only, I'll actually do a right answer. I think what'll happen is he'll get a standing go. Like, he'll get introduced. There'll be a standing ovation before the game. As soon as the game starts, all booze. Which is, like, the right way to do it. Let's not pretend he didn't win a Super Bowl. Let's not pretend he wasn't fantastic for the community. All the charity initiatives, visiting kids at Children's Hospital. Like, having a superstar QB that embraces that role and does all that sort of stuff has magnitudes on the community. He will get his ovation. But during the game, I think it's Boo City. You're probably right. Going back to wrong answers only, I just thought of one right now that goes with a lot of what we've talked about recently. How should Seahawks fans welcome Russell Wilson back tonight? Build an indoor pool. (laughs) In Seattle, somewhere for him. Call the Russell Wilson indoor pool. (laughs) With four bedrooms. With four bedrooms, 12 bathrooms. Oh, man. One bedroom? One bedroom for every touchdown he's going to throw tonight, potentially? Is that going to be his uh, touchdown to interception ratio? Four to one? Four to one. (laughs) Uh, one. This one, Mike and Will, will be a Starbucks gift card with zero dollars on it. Wrong answers only. That's how you welcome him back. So everyone chips in? And it's got to be... Hey, Russ, the whole crowd, all of Lumen Field chipped in for this. And it's got to be a GC specifically to the first Starbucks ever created, which is the most overrated thing in Seattle, by the way. So he's got to go out of his way for it? Yeah, like the ninth, you, you got you to stand in line. To Wait, f- the first Starbucks is overrated? Oh, yes. yes. There's like 100 Hold people on. waiting in line for the same exact Starbucks you get anywhere else. This, sure. is, new, this is news to you. Oh, I'm just curious. I, know, I, I walked by it. I've never gone in. I usually grab mac and cheese at the uh, the cheese place yeah, right Beecher's. next to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Beecher's. Yeah. It's, it's shortly ahead of the gumball is it, in terms of overrated things in Seattle. Is there anything different inside of it? No. No, man. It just, it looks just a regular store. Like, no. again, I've walked past it a bunch and never actually gone in. No, Because there always is a lineup. I usually just smirk at people waiting in line and just being like, suckers. This is how you're wasting your time. No. I, I thought there'd I'm be like... I'm going to a bar to have a beer. Some, like, history, some museum to it. 
Nothing? It's Starbucks. What are you going to have? The first, the first coffee cup and coffee cup in this. <laughs> Sounds like a great idea. Howard Schultz's first pen? Like, I don't know. What? What do you. The, the, the story of the creation you could put up on the walls or something uh, like that? We decided we want to make coffee. Story finished. <laughs> we wanted to get rich, and people love coffee. This is the end of the tour. Yeah. Please buy your jazz CDs and gift cards. Uh, this one, let Russell Wilson raise the flag. Wrong answers only. He's got to raise the flag, run down for kickoff. Like, His triceps right. are just absolutely worked before the game. Yeah. <laughs> no arm strength when he gets back on the field. Smart play. <laughs> uh, good stuff coming into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox, 650-650. How should Seahawks fans welcome Russell Wilson back into Seattle tonight? You can keep coming with the text, 650-650. This one from Minor Matt in Abbotsford. The crowd should chant, let's ride, every time the Seahawks get points. It's <laughs> pretty good, actually. That's pretty good. Let's ride. Now, you got to say it the same way, let's though. Let's ride. It's got to be like the whole like Kool-Aid guy. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> let's ride. It's got to be that. I actually wonder, like, every time he gets sacked this year, will the like the guy who celebrates the like sack – just kind of like, <laughs> do something like that, yeah. Or do the Gangnam the, Style, let's ride. like like you're doing a like you're riding a horse, yeah. but like you know you, like you're either that, got a rope in your hand or something. Either that or like Russ like in the the video, let's ride. I I think I think it'll be some things tonight. Uh, Rager, get the lob to raise his retired number into the rafters so they can carry him one more time. That is strong. I got another one here. All these ideas are now coming to me. Pre-game ceremony featuring Matt Flynn. No, that would be in honor of it. That is a wrong answer. That is a wrong answer. That's awful. Can you imagine now we're going to usher in Russ by bringing the guy that ushered in Russ originally, Funny Matt stuff. Flynn and that massive Funny contract. Stuff. I mean, Matt Flynn's just chilling out, man. He got like $15 million. Living he? off interest, man. He's yeah. living the dream. This is a right answer. Like halfway through the first quarter, Seahawks fans are going to be like looking at what Geno Smith is producing on the field, and they're all going to be sitting there miserable because they're going to be like, man. This is what we have now. That's what we had, and this is what we're dealing with. What if Gino's good? Come back. Yep. I guess it is a wrong. What if Jalo said yes to me? Like, what's your point? Yeah. Like, yeah, we're, if we're coming out with outlandish ideas. Okay. If if the Seahawks win tonight, is that the most ludicrous win of the week of week one? Yes. Yes. Not the Steelers playing the way they did. No. I still think it's because it's Geno Smith, man. The slander it, on it's Geno Smith. So I, I, okay, wrong answers only. We need to t- hit this one up. Future should sing the national anthem. Mumble rapping his way through the national anthem. Can you imagine that song? Don't even enjoy Future music. It's not that good. I, I'm not a fan. I can't I, stand I, like, him. I've I can't tried, stand his music. I've tried on multiple occasions, and I'm just like, I don't get it. I just don't get it. No, like, I like other kind of peers of his, but his stuff I've never liked. Never liked. So that national I, anthem I is definitely a wrong answer. answer. That would be it'd, amazing. It'd be up there with uh, Fergie's national anthem. Oh. That was awful. Okay, I know this is not, given what's happened in the legal world, it's not something that people will talk about often, but I was once at a boxing match where R. Kelly was doing the national anthem. And was it the wildest national anthem? It was like a waltz. People sure. were dancing in the ring. Like Bernard Hopkins versus Jermaine Taylor oh, yeah. 2 in Vegas. Yeah. It you was, were there? It was weird, man. It was weird. <laughs> We're Google it if you can. It's it was it was a strange national anthem. We're waltzing. They're waltzing in the ring to the national anthem. <laughs> uh, Vic Nazar, Randy Janda here on the People Show. We'll get to uh, more of your submissions for wrong answers only on the other side. Uh, get back into the conversation uh, with the NHL as well. Uh, Bo, you know, Bo did talk about earlier today. Horvat uh, met with media, 
just talking about, you know, raising the standard and being more consistent and getting, you know, some W's obviously for the organization. What does that mean for the Pacific Division and the Canucks and trying to plot out the playoff outlook? You kind of pitched to me. Is the Central really as strong as it was last year? Did it take a step back? And is there a spot for a fourth Pacific Division team to get a playoff berth through the wild card? We'll talk about that on the other side. Also, turf trivia on the way. You got a chance to win tickets to Saturday night's main event, WWE, on September 24th at the Pacific Coliseum. Roman Reigns, Dolph Ziggler going to be on hand, Seth Rollins. Many of your other favorites in action got a chance to win Turf Trivia next. Home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. This is The People's Show with Big Nazar and Randy Janda. Welcome back to The People Show, 650-650. If you want to chime in to the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox, the smart alternative, visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. What's this music, man? It's like something that would be in Bloodsport. Yeah, that as Jean Claude Van Damme is getting ready for his big fight. That did have some 80s uh, montage, training montage feel to it. It was new- called uh, Blowout Win on uh, APM Music. Or okay. Right, free. free. Sorry, what was it called? Blowout Win. Oh, Blowout Win. Progressive Disco, Big Boom House. <laughs> that had Jean-Claude Van Damme written all over it, man. Is there a new Bloodsport coming out? What's going on with this music? Do you like that movie? I love Bloodsport. Really? My One of my favorite movies. Is it like so bad it's good? Yes. Yeah. yeah. But it's also like pre-UFC. It I- was like the idea of... That tournament was un- like unbelievable as I, a kid. I wish I had watched it younger. Like I, I'd probably say I watched it like for the first time in the last like eight, ten years. Okay, so I never saw it in the nineties or two thousands. Okay, I definitely watched it really young. Yeah, and I think at the time, had you watched it, it would have been like, oh wow, what an awesome movie to watch it so far removed sure. from when it released. I was like. A little disappointed. So I loved it because it kind of gave you Street Fighter vibes. Yeah. Right? Like you play the video game and you're like, whoa, they actually made a movie of something like if that. If I was still a teenager that had, you know, recent Street Fighter memories, like this is awesome. Yeah. I just remember being a little, little let down. I but watched, I understand it's like a cult classic. I watched it last year and I loved it. Loved it. I, that that song, I forget what it's called. The, the main song where he's like riding around the bus, like contemplating life. Right. <laughs> it was on my playlist for like a good six months after watching it. It's... Such a good movie. It's yeah, it, it is a peak. So bad, it's good. But yeah, I'm I'm not sure if I'm rushing to rewatch Bloodsport. I think I might tonight. <laughs> you might tonight. Getting ready for the NHL season. Just psych I, myself out after another blowout win. You'll be like, yeah, I, Broncos blew out the. You know, Seahawks. Russell Wilson's watching that tonight. He's gonna pre-game viewing of Bloodsport. His his right there. Oh yeah, there we go. His That's acting it. job in, in that video of Less Ride is about as good as anything in Bloodsport. He's watching the one scene where Jean-Claude is doing the splits. <laughs> That's going to be rest tonight. You think that's against, his pregame against stretch? Against the Seahawks. His pregame stretch in the locker room? Let's ride. His O-line just walks by like, Let's dude, stretch. you're so weird. <laughs> I, could see him. I could see him doing that. 
Uh, Big Nazar and Randeep Janda. Uh, we mentioned it uh, as we were going to break there. Uh, getting ready for what this season looks like for the Vancouver Canucks and really the, the entire Western Conference. Canucks, the, the, the standard is clear of what they have to achieve this year. For me, it's win around, but essentially get to the playoffs this year. I think the priority should be winning around and getting back to what you uh, achieved in the bubble and setting that standard all over again. But playoffs is necessary. We we talk so much about what the Pacific Division looks like. Calgary's made their changes. No more Kachuk, no, no more Goudreau. They bring in other bodies. They still look formidable. Edmonton's Edmonton. It might be volatile through the course of the season. They have McDavid. They have Dreisaitl. And it feels like, okay, those two seeds are kind of written in. And other teams are playing for Pacific Division 3. L.A., the incumbent. Vegas has upside, but I haven't really seen it come to fruition. And, A, can they stay healthy? And then the Vancouver Canucks, where do they fall in? But let's explore other avenues. Mm-hmm. Is is there a scenario that develops this year that the Pacific Division sends four teams to the playoffs this year? And the other teams get in, or another team gets in by way of the wild card. Because last year, Dallas and Nashville were your wild card representatives. So the Central was heavy, heavily represented. And that wasn't a shock to anybody. I think maybe the teams making it in was a shock. Maybe uh, Winnipeg should have made it. Exactly. In preseason, some people would have made that pick. Whereas the Predators, I, I didn't have them in the mix, but they end up getting the job done. Now, the question is. Is there a fall-off coming for one or more of those teams in the Central? The Wild, the Blues, Predators, Stars were the teams that came through that division that you can ask some questions about. The, the Colorado Avalanche are not going anywhere. We know that. They had Evan Rodriguez today as well. Popular thought for a lot of Canucks fans is, hey, maybe you can get some of this guy on the cheap. He signs a one-year, $2 million deal today just to go to Colorado. Kind of replace Nazem Kadri. It's a, really. show us what you can do, Yeah, and either you make that money on a long-term deal here, or you set yourself in a position to, to make it somewhere else. But those other teams that I mentioned, those four specifically, the Wild, Blues, Preds, and Stars, could one of them fall off? And the one team that I'm looking at that I don't really know what they are is the Dallas Stars. The Dallas Stars, to me, they got a new coach there. They're going yes. away from the, the Picasso of a system that Bick called... The def- defense first. They're going for shot volume with Pete DeBoer. That's what he Sorry, does. Not Bruce Cassidy. Yeah, Pete DeBoer. Pete yeah. DeBoer. They, they went away from Rick Bonus. They went away from that idea. And even the owner of that team has talked about how, hey, the defense was, it was good for a while, but mm-hmm. we want to change up the way we play. And Pete DeBoer, during the regular season, has gotten it done with teams. We're 27th in league scoring over the last four years, the Dallas Stars. So, yeah, I can understand why you'd want to change, want to get a little bit more offensive, but that lineup outside of a couple of really good young pieces. Haskinen, Rupa Hintz, Robertson. The meat of that, the middle of that lineup to me is still, I got some questions. And yes, Sagan and Jamie Benn are a part of that. Can you get more offense out of them? Good luck. But big beyond that, if there's one team that I'm not so comfortable about going back to the playoffs, I think it's the Dallas Stars. I think they're the team. If you look at adding some pieces, sure, they added a little bit here and there. But I, I don't necessarily know if they're going to be a playoff team. I have my doubts about them. The big question I have, and and one of the reasons why I liked them last year, and and like is a relative term, everyone piled on them, 
It's like, oh, this is gross hockey. One of the things I actually liked about them was they had an identity. You may not have liked how they played, but everything does not need to look uniform. Like the whole point of having diverse tactics and strategies is to find different pathways to victory. The Dallas Stars chose defense. In an era when, hey, it's easy to just change the channel when teams aren't scoring. I get that. But they had an identity. I have a concern that this change, and it's probably a change they needed to make. I understand that. Last season was last season. They had their success. I've seen the bubble going to the cup finals, playing that defensive structure game. So they probably need to evolve anyways, but I have my concerns of what that transition looks like. As much as I'm hyped on players like Jason Robertson and Rupe Hintz, I think it's fair to wonder what that transition looks like, especially under Pete DeBoer, who suddenly we've seen this, this... we, we feel like I feel like we have enough evidence of what Pete DeBoer hockey is like. A lot of shot volume. Is it actually efficient, and is it of any value? Outside of line one, which is likely going to be Robertson, Hintz, and Joe Pavelski, what else is there? Like, there's a lot of question marks, and can they, if you're going high-octane hockey, Miro Haskinen is a part of that. But outside of that, the forward group doesn't really inspire to say, wow, this team, they're going to they're gonna run. They're going to be run and gun. I'm not all that impressed with what I see in their lineup for that style of hockey. So as much as I made fun of that style that you loved last year, were they doing a lot with little when it comes to offense, right? Like Dennis Gurionov could mm-hmm. be playing second line minutes for this team with maybe Sagan and with Ben. One of the weirdest lines in hockey. Does that scare you? Does that scare you? No, it doesn't. So... That's one team I look at and say, all right, watch out. The other teams, if you look at you know, drop-offs, I think you have to look at the Minnesota Wild based on what they were last year. And they're my dark horse to, to win the Stanley Cup or at least make the Cup final. We know what happened there. But there have been a couple of things that they had to do. No Kevin Fiala, no Cam Talbot, who was pretty important for them. And in a lot of ways, they bungled that goalie situation down the stretch. Now, mind you... Having the full season of Mark Andre Fleury has its benefits, but the drop off is going to be Philip Gustafson in, mm-hmm. in the backup role, which he could be a, a very good goaltender in the future. But twenty four years old, he's still unproven. So you go from a proven one two to now a slightly unproven one. Understand you have to you have to watch the dollars somewhere because of their their buyouts of Parise and Ryan Suter. Now the other thing is they're relying on Matthew Boldy and Marco Rossi early on on those ELCs. That's not an indictment of the players. That's just a, will these players be able to answer the question this Mm -hmm. year? If you've got really high ambitions, that's a lot of pressure on some young players. So that's another candidate of a team. Ultimately, I think they're still deep enough to give you, you know, solid output. They've got Kaprizov there. They've got some really good players in their, their top six. And they've got depth, which is something that maybe they don't have the highest events comparing it to other teams in that division, like the Colorado Avalanche. But they do have Erickson Eck who's locked in, one of the better defensive centers in the game. But that's that's another team you start to wonder and say, okay, compared to last year, are they going to be as good? Well, I, I'm assuming their hope here, excuse me, their hope here is a full season of Matt Boldy. Again, from where they ended to where they can begin, I think are two different scenarios. To compare what they are right now to the end of season Minnesota Wild, you're probably going to be left disappointed. But to compare the start of last season to the start of this year, I think that's an a fair assessment because Matt Boldy looked fantastic last year. Over 35 points and just over 45 games, I think. 
for his first foray into the NHL, that is a nice stab. So yeah, Kevin losing Kevin Fiala matters in this conversation. But to inject Boldy and Rossi to say, hey, can the two of you make up the talent gap of one player's production? It's it's thrusting a lot upon young players. My like my biggest concern with the Wild, and one of the reasons I didn't buy into the hype last season was how are you down the middle? And what have they really changed down the middle? I guess it's Marco Rossi to say, yep. hey, you're our superstar potentially down the road. And if you pop, that looks de- good down the middle. And look, Kaprizov will carry Hartman or Goudreau, whoever we want to play there, most likely Hartman. Erickson X, their best center to me. For sure. And he plays a certain role and certain identity to play that checking spot. So he'll take care of his. But where's that offensive upside coming from down the middle of the ice? Kaprizov's his supernova. He'll create offense on that line. And Hartman was the big beneficiary of that last year. There is a lot of pressure on Marco Rossi to be able to drive his own line. Now, he's not going to be playing with Kaprizov to begin with, so that's a benefit. The the, the scoring matchups are going to go elsewhere. He's not going to have to get defensive roles because of Eriksson Ek. So he, I think he can thrive in this role. But it's going to be very, very important that he drives a line. Yeah, it's a, it's a big question. Depends on who he plays with. He's probably going to play with Boldy maybe to, to start off because you can give those easier matchups. And remember, there's another player in Tyson Jost that is there as well. So just that maybe... Do they put a Marcus Foligno on a line like that to, to just, provide a defensive presence? They've got Greenway as well in that forward group. So he adds a little bit of that as well. So they've got some options. The team that last year I was not all that keen on, I think they've got staying power. And that's the Nashville Predators. A couple of key additions there that... Now you look at that lineup, and we can criticize the Duchesne contracts and the Johansson contracts all we want, but the biggest moves that they made was re-signing your boy, Philip Forsberg. Mm -hmm. Retaining him was massive. But now you add a Nino Niederreiter on that wing as well. Probably in that top six. Just a subtle signing. To be honest, if if you gave me a do-over on what the Canucks offseason looked like, I would probably rather have Nino Niederreiter at two years at $4 million instead of Mikheyev at... Four years of 4.75. We talked about buy-low candidates, and Nino Niederreiter struck me as a massive buy-low candidate. Mikheyev brings more speed, but as far as overall production, like it's there for Niederreiter. Overall defensive value, it's there. It looks different, and the Canucks do need a speed element, so I guess you go out of your way to pay for that premium, mm-hmm. but I, I might prefer the, the Niederreiter deal, and it's a good signing by them. No, it's a solid, solid signing for a 30-year-old that he provides, right? He just produces wherever he goes, and Probably the biggest part of their lineup that maybe gives you a little bit more confidence than anything is the left side of defense. Yeah. Yossi, McDonough, and Eckholm. Essentially trying to replicate what the Tampa Bay Lightning did with Victor Hedman is that we're going to load up the left side. Who cares on the re- who's on the right side? And not to say they have bad defensemen, but we know there's a difference in quality. Well, they got Alex Carrier, who they really like. Yeah. They got Dante Fabro that's still on the right-hand yeah. side there as well. So you have decent players, but the left side is where they loaded up. And the key thing here is they didn't fall off. So, to me, the Predators have a little bit more staying power than they did last year. And that's why the final team that we haven't necessarily talked about yet is a team that's kind of, since their cup win... They're they're constantly criminally underrated. Like last year, nobody paid attention to the St. Louis Blues. St. Louis is what I'm talking about, yeah. They were... I I thought they would give the, the Avalanche a better series. Bennington injury kind of flips that script a little bit. And then they kind of lost their heads in that series sure. because of the injury, going after Nazem Kadri. But let's not pretend they did not have a fantastic regular season. They were third in the West in, in regulation wins. Calgary was remarkable. Colorado, obviously, we know. But they were not that far behind that group there as far as regulation wins. 
no major additions here. Uh, subtraction is David Perron, which is big to the identity yeah. of that team. And part of the reason they lost their heads against Nazem Kadri was David Perron, right? So, but he's still a part of that identity. They have younger players that are working their way through the lineup. Hopefully you see maybe a Logan Brown take a step more so. You've got some other players that are making their way through. But the biggest subtraction on this team is Billy Huso. And Billy Huso goes to Detroit. They end up getting Thomas Grice. And in the big scheme of things, you can say, hey, whatever, that's fine. They got Jordan Bennington. But remember, the first half of last year, Bennington was not good. But he was spectacular at the end. He was. But Huso was spectacular at the beginning of the yeah. year. He was amongst the best in the league in that conversation. So They lost their insurance is basically what's happened here. Yeah. But at least you, you've you seen what the upside is. It's, it's not as if we're, we're trying to harken back to five years ago and say, hey, if this guy reclaims his form, like Jordan Bennington, when, when he's on... And we see we saw it recently, like in the playoffs, he was really sharp. The margin for error is not there for him, though, and, and that's where Billy Huso mm-hmm. was lights out. We saw them when they played against the Canucks. This guy was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. He was he the Canucks could not beat him. Now Jordan Bennington, being the full time guy, and sometimes he's a little petty. We've seen that. Motivation is something that he does not lack. Confidence is not something mm-hmm. that he lacks. But we've seen when he's not confident. It stays down there for a while. So that that is the biggest question I have about the Blues. I think in terms of having three lines deep, their center position is kind of what the Canucks are trying to do. They've made their transition. Like Ryan Riley is no longer the number one center. No. It's Robert Thomas. Yes. And you've got Braden Shen there as well that brings that bite, but also skill in the third line role. Now the question is, can Bennington have a full year of success? Peaks and valleys happen. It happens to the best players. But can you rely on him for, you know, 55 to 60 games. Uh, that's, that's the biggest question. Now, going back to the, the top of the conversation, which one of those four teams is going to drop off? If, if that is a way for the Canucks to get in the playoffs, I would put my money on the Dallas Stars because I like certain aspects of their team. I just don't know how Pete DeBoer is going to work there. I don't know if they have the offensive firepower with Sagan and Jamie Bennett at this point in their careers to create the offense that they plan on doing according to their owner in recent interviews. Dan in Fort St. John, 650-650. There could be five Pacific teams in the playoffs. Drop-off in the Central is real. Dallas back in is a lot weaker without Klingberg. Preds will come back to Earth. Jets are the Jets, and Blues could surprise in a bad way. Their only saving grace might be all those games against the Coyotes and the Blackhawks to top off their point totals. That is... Dan in Fort St. John, texting in 650-650. Five teams is probably a bit too rich for me. Uh, I'm probably with you there on the Dallas Stars as probably being the team that to be concerned about. Is it enough of a window to crack open for either Vegas, L.A., or Vancouver? That's the question. I, I think I say this every year. The gap between talent between some of these teams here, especially in this cluster, like the 9 to 21 range of best teams in the NHL, it's thinner than we realize. Bounces, goalies, injuries. A lot of these teams are essentially 95-point teams, 95-point teams, and pending which way the dice roll goes for you, you might end up at 86, and you might end up at 101. But the gap is essentially you're all... 94, 95 point teams. Some teams get hot at the right times. Some teams just get extra cold, but they're all kind of the same team. It's really just going to come down to 
coin flips at that stage to say, oh, there is a big gap between Dallas and Vancouver. I don't think there is. I don't think there's – like the, the offensive upside yeah. for Vancouver is there for Dallas – or sorry, for Vancouver that doesn't really exist for Dallas. No. And the reason I like Dallas was they had an identity, yeah. but they're changing that. Vancouver's going to have to form their identity, which hasn't really happened in years in the city for this team. But if, if you can form that and you, you build something that you can rely upon throughout the course of the year, that's something that pushes you over to the finish line. And whichever team in this group, throw Minnesota in there. I think they'll be okay because they have some new talent coming in the blue line as well. But it's fair to wonder. Obviously, some some changing things there. No Fiala. Dallas is going to have to solve that. I like your Nashville pick because they retained what they were. We know Roman Yossi's the star. And they added another yeah. up six winger, which is which is important for that team. Remember, Matt Duchesne is now playing on the right wing. He's not a centerman, so he looked a lot better last year. I, I think they figured out what they are. We we can debate the ceiling of that, and if yeah. they're really a cup champion or cup contender, that's fair. But I, I think Nashville knows what they are, and they can probably get to 96, 97 points. It's, it's going to be incumbent on Winnipeg, Vegas, L.A., Vancouver, and Dallas to figure out who they are. And whichever team does that first will say in November and December, that's the one going to the playoffs. Okay, the one question I would have about Minnesota, and you kind of referenced this a little bit earlier on, was Ryan Hartman. 65-point player last year. Scoring was up across the NHL. Can he be a consistent 60-point player in his career? Because previous high to, was 31 points. 31 points. He had 65 last year. That's, that's a lot. He doubled, more than doubled his point total. If this team is going to have success, Kaprizov is going to be the guy that, that creates it. He's going to be the most important player. But can you get a player like Hartman to play first-line minutes Going to get the easier offensive matchups because Erickson X is going to be doing his thing. But can he get production? Well, man, Kaprizov is so good. I just think being adjacent to greatness, you'll find your way into 45 to 55 points. Adjacent to greatness. If you He's, just hang around good, talented people, it'll rub off on you at a certain degree. Yeah, man, why do you think Turtle was a real character? That's fair. In Entourage. Just, just be adjacent to the buzz and good things just fall your way. Okay, so you mentioned something a little bit earlier on about the two philosophies that two teams in this chase will have, this hypothetical chase we're talking about. Dallas is trying to get more offense. Vancouver is trying to tighten up on defense. Structure, baby! One team is trying to loosen up the structure. One team is actually trying to add structure. Who is more likely to make that happen, though? Because... I think Vancouver. There's a danger There's a danger yeah. in, in loosening up too much as well, right? If you... If you break away from that identity that you knew, we've seen teams just completely lose it as well. And offense, thinking offense is one thing, but that's when you start to cheat for cheat for goals, cheat for points. I think Vancouver is going to have probably the easier road to saying, all right, let's add structure. Let's, let's make sure we commit. The other way, if you say, all right, hey, we're too defense-centric, we need to loosen up a little bit more, that comes with a serious danger of where, where you... Well, you know, it, it, we've seen other teams do it in the past as well, where they're they kind of commit and they start cheating, and that's dangerous. You you need to rely on talent, actual talent. Do you expect Jamie Ben and Tyler Sagan to rediscover form this stage? Probably not. Probably not. No. And so you're asking, okay, where are these points going to come from? Jason Robertson had 79 points last year. Rupe Hints had 72. Is 90 in their spectrum? That that feels like a really high number, and I really like those players. But if you're going to open it up a bit more. You need those guys to get to 95. I'm 
little bit more concerned about that. I think they can get to 75, no problem. 90, 95 is rarefied air, especially if you expect scoring across the league to come back a bit. That's tough. So where's that gap coming from of 25, 35 extra goals? I don't know if that exists. Vancouver, though, if you tighten up, because you got that goalie back there, you tighten up a bit, I think that's easier to pull off than trying to produce 30 extra goals when the talent just doesn't exist. And there's a danger of playing divisional games. You're going to be playing against Colorado. You're going to open up against them. The Blues and their depth, you're going to open up against them. Like, I think there's a self-awareness aspect here with the Dallas Stars as well. Is like You can open up to a certain degree, but you just don't have those types of players. You don't have prime Sagan anymore. You don't have prime Ben where opening up means, oh, we're going to outscore the other team. Game has changed. Vic Nazar, Randy Janda here on the People Show. Before we go, let's get to it. Turf trivia. You got a chance to win two tickets to WWE Saturday night main event, September 24th at the Pacific Coliseum. Undisputed WWE Universal Champion Roman Reigns live. Seth Rollins, Dolph Ziggler, Rey Mysterio, many of your favorite superstars live in action. Tickets starting at $20, available at Ticket Leader. Dot .ca you just got to answer the question to it go. doesn't matter <laughs> well, turf trivia does matter today yeah. folks uh reigning champion Comox it's been a while since yep. we did turf trivia they can hold on to the title that's right we'll see if it goes back to Comox today today's question Geno Smith was the second quarterback taken in the 2013 draft almost 10 years ago who was the first quarterback taken in that draft who was the first quarterback taken in the 2013 draft instead of uh a documentary about Tom Brady remembering the six QBs drafted ahead of him. One about Geno drafting the one guy ahead of him. LeBron James, LeBron <laughs> James, LeBron James. It was definitely not LeBron James, but... Uh, That'd be a very short documentary on yeah. Geno Smith. The one QB drafted ahead of Geno Smith in 2013. You know the answer. 650-650 will draw a winner with the correct answer going to the show. Saturday night, main event, September 24th. Pacific Coliseum, Bick Nazar, Randy Janda, back in a minute, home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.